2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. A few weeks ago, I told you that it was Romans next. The reason that I felt that way, and still do, is because Romans is uh, an incredible book of Scripture. Incredible letter from the Apostle Paul. Romans is the book of all books, I think, in many ways, that helps us to sing what we just sang, that he will hold me fast. I mean, you can sing that to your blue in the face. You can sing it and repeat it 12 times a day for the next year. And if all you have are those words, oh, you may convince yourself but it really won't profit you much. What gives those words their meaning is deep truth. Truth. Revealed truth. The scriptures. And of all books to build that kind of a theology on that we sang, Romans is at the pinnacle of that. Romans is an incredible letter All Scripture is profitable, all Scripture, but some is more profitable, some is more valuable, some is core to understanding the rest of it, and of all books, Romans is that book. I've waited till now to turn to Romans because it's that kind of book as well. It's no small task to wade into Romans. I have, I have this many volumes that I've accumulated or more to help me in that task. But it is a task worth undertaking and I hope you'll walk with me in it as we dive into that text. Because Romans tells us more than any other book, what is the gospel? What is it? Romans is a book that uh, we need in a day in which truth is pretty fuzzy in the church world. For a long time now, in fact, really from uh, the time that I came into the church and before that, but in 1973, in a senior in high school, when I gave my life to Christ, um, even then this was true, and it, I think it's become increasingly True, although there are some things now that are pushing against it, but we have downplayed theology. We have downplayed it in the church. We've said it's not important that it divides, that it'll only cause problems, and so we're not going to talk about it. The truth is everybody has a theology. You have a theology. Everybody in the street has a theology. They have things they believe about God, but the important thing is that we get the right things of what the Christian faith teaches about God. And Romans will do that. Romans will help the fuzziness 
to fade away. It will put a weightiness about who God is into your theology that will be incredibly helpful. We live in a day, as one has said, with a gospel that omits Jesus and neglects the cross, and that is true in many places. So we don't dare downplay theology. We need to have theology. We need to have right theology underneath us. I think as we face the future in our world today and in the church today, it is incredibly important that we have it. There are people who would say, downplay theology, it'll divide. But they also say, downplay theology doesn't matter. Just live out the faith. Just live it out. Don't worry about theology. It's boring or whatever they want to say. But again, that's a false statement. It can be. I mean, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. And secondly, the truth of the matter is you will not live correctly except you have the right theology. That's what Romans is about. The first 12 chapters of Romans are doctrine. They're about the gospel and about the heart of man and all of those things. And then he turns and changes gears and for the last chapters says, now then, live this way. But he doesn't start by saying, live this way and figure out your theology later. He knew that theology was going to affect how you live. And so theology first, doctrine first, and then how you live it out, how it should affect the way you live. And that's the way that Romans is laid out. The scripture says that we should worship God in spirit and in truth. We need, we need spirit. We need uh, experience, but we also need truth. In fact, I'm convinced in the years of ministry that I have that the, the, the most passion, the greatest passion actually is stirred not by whipping it up, but by the deepest truth. When we really see God and he becomes weighty to us in the right way, it creates a passion that is not just passion for passion's sake. It's not just living out faith for living out faith's sake. But it's driven by the right kinds of things. And, and so, Romans is next. It's where we're going. In fact, this morning, we're going to Romans via a long introduction. When I said Romans, I thought... Romans right away. And then I began to read 2 Timothy. And I began to realize there is no better introduction to Romans. There's no better way for us to see how important Romans is than to see what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy. And so really what we're doing now for the next several weeks is introducing Romans via 2 Timothy. It's a long introduction, but I hope it will be a helpful introduction. Um, Look at the text this morning. This is why. This is why I think Timothy, 2 Timothy, is a good place to start with Romans. Paul says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life. What is the promise of life? It's another way that Paul describes the gospel. 
the gospel that is laid out for us in Romans. That's what the promise of life is. And that's what the gospel is, the promise of life. Um, And it's written in verse 2, it says, to Timothy. So what Paul is doing is he's writing to Timothy, his beloved in the faith. In 1 Timothy, he writes about how to, how to, or his concern about how to do church, how we, we, we meet together as a body and how that should look and what we should do and those kinds of things, how we should function as a body of believers. But in 2 Timothy, the, the emphasis is different. In 2 Timothy, the tone, the ethos, if you will, of 2 Timothy is Paul's concern, Paul's deep, deep concern. And I hope as we walk through 2 Timothy, you feel it with Paul, his deep concern about how these words of life, how this gospel is going to go forward, how it's going to continue to speak to the lives of people and, and cause life to come where there's deadness. That's what the gospel does. It brings people who are spiritually dead to life. And that's why it says the promise of life. And, and Paul's deep, deep, deep concern is that it goes on, that the message continues to be trumpeted to the world the message that he wrote in his treatise to Romans doesn't get lost, doesn't get put on the bottom shelf or, or pushed behind the books on the shelf, but it, it continues, to, continues to go forward and people hear that message. Now you have to understand, there was no Bible back then. That was a letter that Paul had written, a collection of letters, one of a collection that he had written. It was only later that they would come together as God sovereignly watched over that and brought what we have now today as the scriptures. So it wasn't as though Paul was hoping, I want Timothy to pass this on, this book on, and the message of this book, because this book is about life. You see, you have to understand that. You have to get that kind of feel for how Paul must have felt about this message getting passed. Now, you ever played the telephone game? You've played it probably as a kid where one person tells another person something and the next person tells the next person. And again, and you end up at the end and you realize how distorted that message can get. It wasn't in one place, in one collected place as we have the Bible today. Certainly, Paul had written letters. He had written Romans. Part of it, he poured his heart into Romans so that that message would be down what he felt as God had given to him as an apostle, as he was moved by the Holy Spirit. But that deposit, he'll talk about a deposit, that Timothy would take that deposit and have it go forward. The deposit he's talking about, for Paul's mind, would have been what he wrote in Romans. That's why it's so powerful. It's, I think it's why it's such a such a weighty book and why it's so important because Paul want, in one place wrote this, this gospel about this gospel, these words of life. Certainly there were other books that he wrote that are important and, and have the gospel in them, but none like Romans. None like Romans. That's why 
Romans is next. But let's get a little feel for the circumstance. That's what I want to do today. The circumstance that Paul found himself in. Paul was in his second Roman imprisonment at this time. But this, the first one was under house arrest. It was in Rome, but Paul was was much freer in that imprisonment for people to come and people to go. It wasn't it wasn't heavy and weighty in the sense of how he was he was uh, uh, incarcerated, but there was much freedom in that. And and as I read in Philip the Philippians today, he anticipated his release. He would get released. It would work for his release, the things that were happening as he wrote to the Philippians, and in fact was released. And he continued on for about five or six years, continuing to stoke the joy of people by giving the words of life and giving what he wrote in Romans and those kinds of things to the church. But now it's much different. We're not exactly sure when, when it all changed, but it was somewhere after he went to Ephesus for the second time, after he went there and spent time with Timothy. But between that event of being in Ephesus and his journey to Rome, someplace he again was arrested and this time found himself in much more dire circumstances. The the Herodian kind of persecution had begun. It was really kind of going pretty well by then. And this time he didn't find himself under house arrest. This time he found himself probably in a in a more like dungeon like circumstance it was dark it was damp it was possibly overcrowded with not much sanitation the only light he probably had was the light of the sun through a hole because he was down underground in this prison that many think he was in it was a tough place to be and in fact, the scripture tells us in, in, uh, in Timothy or in 2 Timothy, we'll read that um, one came to find him and look for him and they, that he had to search a long time to find Paul. So it wasn't easy to find. He did find him eventually and, and most likely found him in these circumstances, probably in chains because of the way he writes in Second Timothy, he, he was bound in chains, wearing fetters, and, and it looks as though he was suffering from loneliness. He was lonely. In fact, the scripture says that Demas left him. The only really person he had left for fear of his own life, because the scripture says, kind of chilling statement, he loved this present world and has left me. Demas wasn't there. And it's in that circumstance that he now writes to Timothy. And he says to Timothy, if you, if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 4 and verse 9. This is what he writes. Paul in this prison, much, little light, loneliness is setting into him. He says, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tithicus I have sent to Ephesus. 
And when you come, bring the cloak. Why? He's cold. He's cold. It's dark, damp. Maybe an ill health. That I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books and above all the parchments. He, he possibly got arrested, I said, after he was in Ephesus the last time, before he got to Rome. Could have happened when he got to Rome, but it might have happened earlier. We don't know, but the fact that he didn't have his parchments, he didn't have his book, he didn't have his cloak, he might have been snatched on that way someplace and not able to bring those things. But now he'd like to have them. He wants them. And he asked Timothy to come to him. We don't know. We don't know if Timothy ever got there. No one really knows if Timothy got there to be with him before his death. We do know that he ultimately was beheaded. So it's that circumstance that now we have this letter. Out of that circumstance, we have this letter. And my hope is that we will seize Paul's great concern, great concern for the gospel's welfare. And therefore, as we come to Romans, it will be even more precious to us. What he, what he taught in Romans is what he agonized that it would not be lost, that Timothy could pick up the mantle and pick up this deposit for the sake of the church. Paul described it as words of life. They were ultimate issues for Paul. Words of life, and he doesn't say death, but that's what he meant. Words of life or death. It was that important to him. That was the passion by which he wrote to Timothy and, and uh, how important it was that this message got passed on. The other thing that's interesting that, that just is a bit of a sidebar, but I think significant, you see, this is, this is now the church moving from the apostolic age. God gave to the apostles this revelation we have today that ultimately God took this revelation from the apostles representatives of the apostles and and brought it together later in a collection all of these letters together under his sovereign hand but that was was ending that age was ending of that revelation to the apostles it was it was coming to an end and now people like Timothy were going to pick up the mantle the, to, the, to the non-apostolic age which we live in now. The canon is closed. The revelation is closed in the sense of this book. And that now is for the church, for us to take it. And so though Timothy's to pass it on, that's what he's hoping, so are we. So are we to pass it on. And one of the best ways to pass it on is to know Romans front to back and back to front and again and again. To know Romans. That's what we're passing on. The gospel, the words of life. So I hope that what we will pick up, this is, this is why the long introduction in Timothy, Second Timothy, that we will pick up the ethos of Paul's heart regarding this message not being lost. Again, you think about Paul. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, we know in the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. He knew them as well as anyone knew the Old Testament scriptures. 
And what he saw as Christ came is how Christ was the yes to all the promises, the yes to all that was written in the Old Testament came to be in Christ. He knew that. And so again, you think Romans is the overflow of him connecting all of that Old Testament revelation and seeing that the yes of that is in Christ. That's the man who wrote Romans. It's one story. It's one book. It's not two. Paul of all men saw the connections and was convinced of them. Convinced enough to throw it all away. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was on the fast track and he threw it all away. And because of that, now faces death at the hands of the Roman authorities. That's the passion Paul had. I pray we will see it. Now it's written to Timothy. Just for a moment, let's talk about Timothy. To Timothy, it had been about 15 years previous to this that his life had intersected Timothy somewhere in that realm. 15 years that Paul had known Timothy. Paul had probably led Timothy to the faith. In Corinthians it says, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. So most probably Paul had been instrumental in sharing the truth that it opened Timothy's eyes to embrace Christ, to follow Christ. Paul said of Timothy, there is no one like him in the book of Philippians. He wrote this, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not the interest of Jesus Christ. That's how he felt about Timothy. After his first imprisonment, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus. He thought enough of Timothy back then to leave Timothy in Ephesus to be the the leader of the Ephesian church, to do several things. He was to order their worship. Um, He was to select leaders and and, leaders. affirm leaders and raise up leaders, elders in the church. He was in in charge of the relief effort in Ephesus to the widows. Um, he was to teach the apostolic faith. He was to teach what he had learned from Paul. Again, you, you see how Romans was so significant and would have been for Timothy. He was to combat heretics, of which there were several. There were many people in the Ephesian church trying to come against this message. People who had looked early to embrace the faith and then turned and began to undermine it. Timothy had to push against that and and continue to work there and help there. And all the time, of all the people in many ways that Paul could have chosen on a purely human level, if you're looking at it that way, which Paul wasn't, but Timothy was hopelessly unfit for the task, hopelessly unfit to do what Paul felt he was to do. You'll read it in the scripture. He, he was comparatively young. He was mid-30s, early to mid-30s as far as age. And he's leading the Ephesian church. He was prone to illness. And he was timid. He was timid in temperament. He probably was an introvert. 
timid Timothy probably would have fit him well. He was hopelessly unfit on a human level to do what God was calling him to do through Paul. I don't know about you, but that gives me some hope. Because God was going to work through Timothy and did work through Timothy. And Paul was convinced of that. And Paul's ethos shows in how he poured into Timothy in that letter, how he admonished Timothy, his concern as he expressed it to Timothy for the deposit of truth. Um, he, he continues to talk about that in, in, uh, in 2 Timothy, but in, I, I believe it's 1 Timothy 5 and verse 20. Listen to what he says here in the scriptures. Um, now, that's not, I've got, I've, I wrote the wrong reference down. But anyway, he talks about the deposit of truth and, and passing that on, um, to the church. Again, as I emphasize, Paul knew well the Old Testament and the New Testament. He knew how they connected together. He knew that he was being poured out. If you look at chapter 4, this is, this is Paul. This is where he found himself in verses 6 and 7. It says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But he knew, he knew the end was close. He also knew that Timothy was going to face a world where Nero was executing Christians, where he was at kind of the, the pinnacle of his persecution of the church. There were going to be heretics that would arise, even in places he'd already been and in places that Timothy would go. People who, who for their own gain, will em- look like they embrace the faith, but but really not, and cause havoc. There was an Asian apostasy going on. And in fact, at this point, when he was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the, the situation in Ephesus, remember he left Timothy in Ephesus? He left him there. Had gotten worse, not better. There were more people who were coming and rising up. With all of that now, let me just walk you through quickly four verses And then we're going to come to a close here today. Four verses in 2 Timothy that just share the passion that he felt. Look at verse 14 of chapter 1. By the Holy Spirit, this is admonishing Timothy, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That was the verse I was looking for. The good deposit. Guard that deposit. Guard it. Guard it, Timothy. If you go to chapter 2 and verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will grow from bad to worse and deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. Continue, Timothy, pass it on. Chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2. 
I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? Why such passion? Why such concern to speak to Timothy, to admonish Timothy? And I go back to where I began. Because... Paul was an apostle of the words of life. And he knew it. He knew the only hope for a dead world, a a world that he wrote in other places in Ephesians, is dead in its trespasses and sins. Was, Was this word, was this gospel, these words of life. In fact, the very words, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, by, by hearing the gospel, Paul knew that was the means by which God, the Holy Spirit, would bring people to life. And oh, the thought of that being lost and what would be the end of those people consumed, I think, Paul. It's always harder sometimes when you're lonely I'm sure sometimes those things came to Paul almost overwhelmingly. You've had that happen, haven't you? In weak moments. Paul so, so needed to know that Timothy would carry it forward. Listen to what John writes. This is, this is important to hear. Because Paul believed they were the words of life. John in his gospel writes these two things. Verse chapter 20 and verse 21. These are written. These words, this gospel, John's saying, is written. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Life. That spiritually dead people could come to life. And not be lost. And then earlier, John writes, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We like to land on the second part of that verse sometimes and think to live the Christian life is to live the abundant life. I remember as a young Christian hadn't been in the faith very long, making this foolish statement. Incredibly foolish statement. I remember where I was. I was in the back of a van on the way to a prison um, or to a jail ministry service with a group of other college kids. I remember making the statement, I believe this is true, but even if it wasn't, this would be the best life to live. I, I didn't fully understand The truth of the matter, Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, if Christ be not raised, you're a fool to believe this stuff. In fact, it would be better for you just to go out and eat, drink, and be merry. Because that's all there is. And you maybe get all the gusto you can in that little finite period of time. You might as well do it. If Christ hasn't been raised. When this Bible, and John says, that they might have life. It's not the emphasis on the abundant that he's worried about the abundant life is that life 
is passing from spiritual death to life through the gospel. I hope, I hope that you see why we're going to 2 Timothy first. And that it will stoke in us as we get into Romans. A deep or deeper desire to know what so pushed Paul to write what he did. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord. Help us. Help us. This gospel is about life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me. Let's sing that gospel song. can say this to us and I leave this with you now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only wise God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty and dominion and authority before all time both now and forevermore go in God's peace you're dismissed